0: Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio master class on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. So what's the single greatest problem facing special teams in professional football today?
1: If you well, take turns, yeah. you can do that. I, I think yeah, I'll start on that one. I, I think... The, the It depends on what league you're in, right? Because to me, the thing that I see an unsettling trend is the NFL has more and more um, gotten to, you know, litigate, not against special teams per se, but, you know, they're changing the game in some ways that make it really difficult. Now, again, I understand the player safety issue, and that's the thing that they keep going back to, but You know, what's what's you look at the return game in particular and, you know, I go back to working with guys like Dante Hall and, you know, really special returners that could change a game and make such an incredibly uh, exciting play, the punt return or the kickoff return and more and more because of the way they've moved the field and the, the maturation of the punters and kickers that, you know. 70 percent over 70 percent of the kickoffs now are, are being they're just touchbacks and that's it's a wasted play I mean um then in the Canadian Football League where I work um you know they've they've gotten so like it's almost impossible to block a punt without roughing the punter I mean it's it's to the point where it's actually not counterprodu- counterproductive and I get player safety. I, I get that. Right. I understand that. But I think sometimes those, those decisions are made with, you know, okay, well we can, we can make it look like we're we're being advocates for player safety in this area. But, you know, I look around and I still see guys getting chopped, you know, chopped down, you know, blocked below the waist, all those things in regular downs and many more players get hurt that way than mm-hmm. they do, you know, covering a punt
2: gotcha
0: what about you Garrett? from the college perspective
2: um yeah shoot i can't really speak to it as much professionally i think special teams are alive and well in the in the college game right now um you know i, I think you see a lot of creativity in, in different ways particularly in the punk game right like you face all different types of teams that align differently um in punt which creates a lot of interesting um issues for you as a a special teams coordinator trying to game plan against that. And allows for a lot of creativity for you as a special teams coordinator, both trying to game plan against that and somebody planning um, for punt. But but I think you see more schematic variety in the college game now than, you know, you did, um, you know, even five, 10 years ago. Um, But no, I think special teams certainly in the college game is, is going, going strong. The work, you know, the
1: work that G and I do and the amount of time that we spend, you know talking to other coaches and garrett put together a thing he calls the jedi council which is a, a like a group I like of, that a group of special teams coaches from around the country and you know and it's really a think tank for like friday afternoons we get together and we you know talk talk football but
0: special teams mafia
1: yeah well you look at it now and i think there's this there's there's an there is an absolute um metamorphosis a change happening um, I go back to 1995, I believe it was, and I'm in Amsterdam in NFL Europe. And we I was with Ryan and we came to Amsterdam to play a game. And for the only time in my whole career, the only time I've ever seen every down players go out and watch a kicker warm up, a punter, a kicker warm up, um, Amsterdam had brought one of the first Australian punters. Hmm over and um, that guy I mean it was unbelievable the ball sounded different when it hit when it hit his foot right mm-hmm. and then he went on to San Diego and was an all-pro player and all that stuff but is that
0: Darren, Darren Bennett
1: Darren, Darren Bennett exactly yeah. and but what what I'm seeing now is and I was part of a group that, that talked to a, a group in Australia that's that's you know basically servicing colleges and Uni- and in the United States and NFL teams supplying them with with Australian kids they are so good with the ball on their foot and they're they can kick with either foot. They can kick on the run. They can do all the things. So the college rules where players are allowed to, you know, leave before the ball's punted and all of that. I don't like, it. I frankly don't like it a lick because I, what I see is, you know, rugby punts and they hit it on the ground and it's rolling all over the place and the punt. So you can, so you can mitigate a great punt return game. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and these these young coaches that are coaching in college have become so creative with motion and shifts and unbalance and all kinds of things that you know it, it's much much easier today to take out a great returner eliminate him from the game than it used to be and I think that's a shame because I think kick returns and punt returns along with block punts those are th- you know those are truly exciting exciting plays you know the they're the plays that that makes make the crowd get up and, and cheer seeing a punt rolling on the ground right and down down the field that i mean that's not that's not helping our game in my opinion that's pretty that's a i mean i know i'm going out of my limb when i say that but i, I really truly believe that it's not good for the game i mean it's right. not building the game
0: yeah it's not, it makes for bad tv to watch too um especially during a time where football at least at the high school level and youth level football enrollment struggling in in certain parts of the u.s um sell me on special teams you have a lot of high school coaches listening special teams is often treated like you know the the stinky diaper at the bottom of the barrel it's often not prioritized um the time that coaches usually think about it is when they actually need it it's kind of like car insurance You know, like uh, the time to get it is before the car accident, not once you've had it. Um, But still a lot of high school coaches just poo poo it. Uh, Even a lot of college coaches too. So sell me on special teams or if you were talking to a high school coach today, uh, how would you sell them on special teams?
2: I think it's the easiest way to make up the most ground on your competition. Because like you said, everybody cares deeply about their offense or their defense, but like you can make up more ground on special teams faster by just caring about it. One um, of I, I can't take credit for this. A, a good friend of mine, Jimmy Walsh, he coaches at Merrimack College. He said, "Man, I'm not smart enough to be a great coach on offense or defense. But I can I can outwork people, so I can be a great special teams coach." And like that's that's kind of what it is. Like you can find a way to be better on special teams. And again, your time invested. Look, like if you talk about um, return on Im- investment in terms of time invested. I think you'll get more bang for your buck out of special teams because you're right. Some people don't work at it, some people don't care at- about it. So you can find an easier edge on special teams than you can elsewhere. Um, and, and I mean, you know, you can let all the stats. And I think, like anybody who, who's watched football or knows anything about football, understands how much. A game can get swung on special teams, but still some people aren't willing to, to take that extra step to invest in it. So I would say as long as you're willing to, to work a little bit hard and put some some time into it, like you can greatly affect your team and give yourself the opportunity to make up a lot more ground than you can if you invested that time in any other avenue through your program.
1: You know, the biggest the biggest challenge that we face as special teams coaches is the you know, you're constantly involved in selling, you're selling, you know, something that's not, you know, it's not easy to sell, right. You're, you're asking players who don't particularly most of them have much background in it or an affinity for it to go out and do something that some, some of them frankly see as below them, right? Like I deal in pro football. So I know what it's like when you get them together, that first meeting and, if you ask them to stand up and tell tell you what position they play there's not a damn one of them that's going to stand up and say I'm the left guard on the punt team they're going to say I'm a linebacker I'm a you know fullback or whatever whatever their you know their uh, offensive or defensive position is but what you find is and it, this is how we approach it is I think you really have to in anything that you ask a player to do or a, a mentality that you want to develop or whatever You you have to confirm with validity everything you teach. So it's one thing to stand up in a meeting and say, it's important. It's a third of the game, which it's not because they don't play. They don't play a third of the plays, right? But it's the plays that they do play. I I asked the players this, name me the top receiver last season. Give me the top five in Canadian football league. And, you know, some of them will know some names and they'll throw it out. I said, okay, I'll put it up on the screen. These are the top five last year. And these are this is what they average per catch a game, right? And this is how many yards per game they average. And then I put up our punter and I say, our punt team, right? There's not a there's not a player in football, right? That who's responsible for more field position per play than your than your special team. It's you can I mean you can't argue. You can't argue. Running back, if a running back averages five yards of carry, you think he's having a great season, right? If your punter averaged five yards of punt, you'd all be fired, right? (laughs) Right. And he may, and he may, and he may have to go out and work nine times, right? And in pressure situations, so if you make it, Coach Vermeil said this to me a long time ago, and and I remember sitting in Kansas City in special teams meetings, and he was there for every single one of them. And I mean, he was there for it. He wasn't just there, you know, putting in his time or, you know, texting the personnel office about, you know, moving, moving somebody or trading for somebody. He was, his notebook was open. He was taking notes and he was paying attention. And so when Tony Gonzalez or, you know, Trent Green or Will Shields or, you know, any of the superstars on that team, they knew that special teams was important because the boss was in there.
2: And I think, yeah, I, mean, I, I you know, think, a good uh, point with that too yeah, is I, I did the study um, and 52% of our yards this past year, you know, at Bates College where I coach currently were accounted for on special teams. Mm-hmm. It was something like 24% on uh, defense and then 23% on offense or however the number is exactly. Turned out, but more than fifty percent were accounted for on special teams um, in terms of just the total yards gained or exchanged. I guess you could say throughout the course of the season. So, so that's an interesting way to sell it. And like Coach said, I mean, finding different ways to sell things. And I think the other way too is if you look at the most recent Heisman Trophy winner, right, Devontae Smith. A lot of people have pointed this out, but like at Alabama. You know, he was the best receiver in the country. He won the Heisman, but he was covering kicks. He was blocking for for guys. Like, he wasn't just right. a returner. Like, he was contributing in every facet of their special team. So, you know, certainly if that guy was able to do it for that team, um, you know, the the different players on your team should be willing and, and more than willing, just excited to be able to help the team and, and be a part of your special team, team. Jeez, exactly right. You look at that same
1: football team. And the other receiver who went in the first round, Jalen Waddell, led the Mm -hmm. nation in punt returns the year before when, you know, he got hurt as a senior. So they, they took away, they limited some of his punt return ability, but it's just an, and, and, you know, these kids today, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm sure G sees it at Bates and, you know, every kid that goes to college football thinks he's going to play in the national football league. And what they don't understand is for, for there's, One, two, three first rounds, right? And those guys may not have to be special teams players. But for everybody else, you're gonna have to have a role on special teams. You're gonna that may be your ticket to get in the NFL or stay in the NFL. So if you really want to be a professional football player, you should be knocking on the special teams coach's door in college and saying, hey, let, let me showcase myself as a gunner on the punt team or or a cover an L5 on the on the kickoff cover team, right? Because the more you can do, the longer you can stay. And, right. you know, that's that's one of the things that we sell all the time. Is I'm here working in the Spring League, and there's not a kid here. We got, you know, Ryan Mallet started at games in the NFL. We got all kinds of guys that have been in the NFL, right? Other than a quarterback, their only way back to the NFL is what they put on tape on special teams. That's just the facts, and they don't like it. They may not like it, but, you know, it's time coaches stop bullshitting players and and you know pumping sunshine up their tail and tell them the truth because mm. that's the truth
0: yeah i mean i think um especially when you and this is a challenge that i think any coach in any sport faces or more team sports is that you know how do i get my best guys to do the grimiest unsexiest tasks um and so can you talk about how you or I guess sell us on why you need your best players on fourth down. Cause a lot of teams will bench their star guys for that, or they'll, you know, get a rest or something. Um, well, I guess you just kind of did sell it on it, but is there a particular, is there a particular, uh, approach or, or conversation that you have with your players if they're on the fence about, or, or if they're being lukewarm about their special teams commitment while they might be, you know, gung ho on defense or offense.
2: I mean, it, it just goes back to kind of like we were talking about selling the importance of it, you know, at the start and then finding different ways to, to make it interesting for them. Um, you know, it's something that, that Jeff talks about all the time, but and I totally agree with him. I take the same approach to where like special teams meetings need to be really fun um, for them to be a part of. Um, you know, we play music. It's high energy. Um, we try to use a lot of different ways to be able to, to be able to teach them, to, to get through to them. But if it's miserable and it's a drudgery, then they're, they're going to find ways out of it. Um, you know, you, you got to be able to make it something that that's cool. That's enjoyable for them. And you'll get more energy on the field. You'll get them playing harder for you um, if you can do that. And then make sure that the guys who are doing well and are excelling on special teams and are doing the right things are getting rewarded and aren't getting Pointed out for it that you're not just ripping the guys who are doing it the wrong way, but you're rewarding the guys who are doing it the right way. Um, you know, we have a bunch of different ways to to do that here at Bates. Again, I think being creative and finding ways, especially to like, yeah, everybody sees the guy who blocks a punt and, and everybody sees the guy who returns the ball for a touchdown. But you know, how do you kind of kind of what you were saying? How do you reward the guy who is making the effort plays, is doing the smart thing, is is avoiding penalties? You know, is able to enable those other guys to make those plays. Um, you know, so that's something that, that I always, um, come back to, uh, you know, just to, just to give an example, um, you know, when I first got here and started running this team, um, or started running the, the special teams here, I should say, um, you know, I, I wanted to really, you know, push guys, you know, speaking of the, the pump box to buck upon, right. You know, in college football, um, I believe the number is 83% of the time when you block a punt in a game, you win. And and also, it, it takes like, you know, it takes some balls to to go block a punt, right? Like you, there there's a there's a big, you know, risk in that because it's a it's a big penalty. But getting guys to being willing to take that risk and stuff. So, you know, my thing that I put out there for him is if you block a punt, the first guy who blocks a punt for me is going to have his picture on my desk. For the rest of my career, <laughs> um, so here it is, Liam Splane. You know, right here. That's gonna that's gonna be with me. Um, right, I have see it's, your future it's kids. Pretty cool. He was able to get it done. But again, just finding different, yeah. I think, unique ways too um, to be able to, to get those points through to them. Um, you know, is is really important um, because again, it, it might not be their first priority in the beginning, but make it fun. Make it high energy. Make it exciting. Make sure they understand the importance of it, like we were talking about, and then be able to incentivize it in, in different ways. Gotcha, uh,
1: Coach. I Jeff, think, I, yeah. I, I, no, I think I think geez, one one hundred percent right. I mean, we do all the same things. Now we're in professional football, so it's a little bit different. But you know, um, these are guys making thousands and thousands of dollars a week because they get paid every week during the season, and we give out little monetary awards and i'm talking little i'm talking like five dollars right and these are guys that five dollars is nothing to, but it is when they get awarded that that little thing in a special teams meeting because we have a little we have a i got a great film guy that works with us and we'll be in the post-game uh meeting and you know we'll be going through it, and then all of a sudden he'll hit a button, and I don't even know when it's gonna gonna happen. And that old that that old uh disco song money, money 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 money, he comes on, and it's like freaking they they the lights are flashing, and that song's <laughs> deafeningly loud. And then I pull it, I have the money in my pocket, and I pull it out of my pocket, and I wave it around. And if a guy you know has more than a couple good plays out, you know like like they're yeah. in the strip. I mean it's just it's crazy. And for $5, they go nuts. I mean, it's $5. They can't even buy a beer with $5. But <laughs> it's not the money. It's the, it's the, Coach vermeil said it this way. Human beings have an incredible tolerance for praise, right? And so how you praise them has to, has to resonate with what's valuable to them, right? And so that's one of the ways we do it. We also have like being a practice roster guy in pro football is not a, you know, a particularly glamorous life. Right. You got to always be the guy on the card. You always you never get a chance to play in the games. You know, you got to keep you got to keep grinding, because if, if you don't, when your time comes and you get your shot, you're not ready. So we call our scout teams the banditos. And every week we pick a bandito of the week. And then all of a sudden, mariachi music will come on during the meeting, and they know it's time to recognize Bandito of the Week. And we put up his picture up with a sombrero on his head, and then the lady from the food service brings in a breakfast a breakfast burrito in a silver tray and serves it to him in front of his teammates. Right? Gotcha. And anytime you you anytime you praise them in front of their peers, in front of their teammates, you have a much greater because you're not you're doing it for the guy you're praising, but you're doing it also for all the other guys that are watching, right? Because you're trying to make them understand that, hey, what did he do to get that attention? What did he do to get that praise? Because in pro football, they're all scared to death, most of them anyway, that this may be the last week, they're waiting for the knock on the door. That's the life they live, right? That's the world they live in. And so just any kind of positive feedback means so much
0: yeah i mean i think and it's funny if you look at some of like the um the coach fossil uh, nfl film stuff like he does like uh his special teams meetings are always very funny and unique and i think if like you said before with uh, coach vermil when you see that the boss is in on the meetings then that's a signal from everybody else in the organization hey this is actually seriously taken here um
1: wait i want you to go i want you to ask G. Cause yeah. I heard him say this the other day we were doing, he and I were doing a tag team consulting thing uh, for this, for this certification program we do. And uh, one of the, the, one of the coaches we were talking to asked this very question, mm-hmm. "Gee, tell him who would be the special teams coach. If you ever get a head job.
2: Me, <laughs> <laughs> me, um, I think it, it just when it comes from the top, it, it means a lot more. Um, you know, I think being able to emphasize those things um, mm-hmm. is, is really, really important. And, um, you know, like I said in, in that moment there, um, you know, I saw it firsthand, um, you know, at Syracuse where, where I went, my alma mater, um, you know, our head coach, Doug Marone, he decided to, to be the guy um, to run the special teams and ended up having the, the best year that we had that we had had up to that point, And then he was able to get an NFL head coaching job after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was reflected, you know, even if he maybe didn't have the raw special teams knowledge, because he was an offensive line guy, um, you know, offensive coordinator. Um, but just because his presence created the importance of it, um, you know, we played better on those units. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the team got better because of it. And it, it, it was felt throughout the entire program. So, um, you know, certainly, again, you know, if, if I have the opportunity, and I think it's something to be said for, you know, the the special teams guy and the head coach are the, are the two coaches that talk to the entire team and the strength coach as well. Um, right. Know, if, you, if you have one of those. Um, so having the opportunity, you know, when you coach special teams, like you're touching the entire team, you're able to get the entire team better, you're able to help your culture permeate through the whole team, um, which I think to be, you know, a head coach and be able to do that, it's a pretty powerful thing. So, you know, that's yeah. at least in my brain, if I'm ever able to have that opportunity, um, the way that would handle it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of NFL head coaches who have special teams backgrounds. I mean, Bill Belichick, you have Harbaugh down with the Ravens. Um, now tell us, um, cause I want to make sure we, we discuss this. Um, tell us what the special teams cert is that you co-created um and then why should somebody consider getting that certification
1: well i think that's probably better handled by g because really the it it was the kind of a culmination of the two of us just talking one day and and uh you know i was impressed with with garrett when i first met him this young guy that's all on fire to to you know create teams talk and to create the Jedi council and all that stuff. And then we just talked about, Hey, wouldn't it be something if we didn't, if we could put a certification program because I I got the only reason I got in pro football was because I was willing to take a special teams job. I had no background in special teams coaching, but I lied my way in. Right. (laughs) And so, but that's not a good way to learn. We're, We're trying to share knowledge that's been passed to us by great, great football coaches guys much smarter, much more innovative, you know, than either of us, but we're passing that, that information on. And so G was really the one that was behind it all.
2: I mean, the, I guess, idea behind the special team certification program, I've done a bunch with clinics and stuff like that. And there's certainly, you know, some resources that you can go to out there that can help you with that stuff. But we wanted to create like a holistic approach to special teams. So you know, if you just happen to become a high school or even college special teams coordinator, um, you know tomorrow, and you didn't really know anything about special teams, you could go through this course and be able to have a reasonable idea. Like, okay, like this is how I motivate my team. This is how I do. This is how I do a meeting. This is how we run a punt team. These are the these are the details. This is the stuff I have to think through. Um, so that was kind of the starting point for that. Um, you know, we have about seven hours worth of video um, on there that's on like all those different aspects um, as well as some different written things. We have tests um, so you can test your comprehension. And then also as a part of that is a a two-hour Zoom consultation with myself and Jeff. So any of the little questions that you might have after going through that, or if you just want to watch your own film with us or you want to talk through, you know, what have you, we're able to, to go through all that stuff with you as well. Um, So, you know, again, like, I I think that was something that was, you know, maybe lacking out there. You see some of that stuff for offense and defense, but we wanted to create, um, you know, a holistic approach for special teams. So again, if you're just, if you, you're one of the guys who are just thrown in that situation, or you want to just broaden your knowledge um, and, and see some different things, um, you know, we we thought this was the the best way to be able to do it. Uh, we didn't see anybody else out there doing it, so we said, "Shoot, we'll go ahead and create it ourselves." Yeah, and and you know, it, it's the thing that I'm
1: proud of about it is that you know, it's one thing to look at tape, right? And and it's it covers so much ground, all right? We we go through both the pro and the college punt. We go through all the different things, but yet, in addition to it, a coach gets a bank of drills to help him teach the skills that the athlete's going to need inside that scheme. So whether you're running the, you know, the, the uh, wall punt, right. That's for one of a better term. That's what I call the college punt that you see where, you know, they got three guys or two guys in the shield and, and uh, the center doesn't have a blocking responsibility, or you run pro punt like we do, you're going to get drills that you can use every day to help your players polish their skills inside that scheme. You know, it's it's one thing to know the routes in the run and shoot. It's a it's a completely different thing to understand it to the point where you can help your players in, improve the, the fundamentals inside the scheme. And that's that's a really, really lost art right now. I see so many kids come to college, come mm-hmm. from college football to pro football. That frankly, and this is not a criticism, it's just an observation, that frankly, they don't have any idea how to play the game. They don't know how to strike a blow. They don't know how to bend their knees. They don't know how to come to balance. They don't know so many, many things that, you know, kids should be getting taught in high school and college and not having to be taught in pro football. But that's what we're, that's where we're at today.
0: Now, do you think that that's a byproduct of the last decade or so with, I want to say paranoia because it is obviously concussions are an issue not just football every sport but obviously football has the largest telescope on it because there's the most money it's the most recognizable sport Mm -hmm. um do you think that efforts at the youth level or the high school level to limit the physicality of the game and
1: prevent injuries has resulted in it like no no i really don't because i I truly truly believe this Mm -hmm. that um like, for example, you, you, if you took the course, if you took the yeah. certification course, you would learn drills that you do not need a helmet to wear, to mm-hmm. do. You could do them in the off season and they're great drills all through the special team stuff that are transferable to every other position on the field. Things that, there's, there, this game is not as hard as we want to make it out to be, <laughs> right? There are, there are certain fundamentals that you have to be able to perform. The mm-hmm. problem is, nobody's broken them down, broken the game down to the point where, how can I help my athlete become a better tackler, right? Mm -hmm. Without taking somebody to the ground. Well, we'll, we we'll show you, we'll break it down for you. You don't have to have a helmet on. You can do those drills all winter long. Right. And, you know, coaches sometimes I, and I learned this from European coaches where sometimes they don't have field with marks on it. The, the grass maybe not have been cut for six weeks eight guys show up for practice all that stuff those guys are great coaches because they have to adapt to all that stuff I hear American coaches particularly bitch all the time about they need this new piece of equipment or they got to have this or the field you know stop it stop crying and moaning and coach you right coach the skills of the game and you know that's why I say that that I think this certification thing is the way, absolutely the way to go, because they're going to continue to take away the physical part of the game. They're going to continue to take away the practice hours. They're going to continue to take away the amount of uh, times you can have pads on. They're going to do all that. That's the reality that we're living in. So you can bitch about it, or you can do something about it, right? You can find a solution, and and I think we've, you know, we're on the path of finding a solution.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think also to um, just looking from the special teams perspective, there really weren't, I mean, prior to, you know, your certification that you guys created, <laughs> most coaches are very helpful if you call them up and track them down. I mean, nine times out of 10, most college football coaches are going to help you out when you come to them with specific questions. But there really was no concerted, like, like you guys did, like one, all kind of hole in one uh, process for mentoring coaches who want to get better at special teams um so i kind of wanted to transition uh to another question because you guys have a ton of coaching experience between you two at all different levels um and we have a lot of young coaches who do listen to the podcast Mm -hmm. um what is the biggest common mistake you see young coaches making when they first start out when they're trying to establish who they are and their culture and whatnot could be a special teams thing could just be a regular coaching thing
1: go ahead
2: G trying too hard to emulate, um, someone else instead of being themselves. And I think to a certain point, like you have to like find yourself. Right. And I certainly, um, am a, I'm, I'm the coach that I am because I've been able to take, to take away from a lot of other really good people, right? Like you're, you're some of your experiences and that's certainly the case with me. However, and I probably did to a certain extent when I was a younger coach as well. Um, you know, I, I make sure to always be true to who I am. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been, again, I've been around a lot of great coaches and, you know, I dropped Doug Marone's name earlier. Like, you know, as good as he was, um, you know, if I try to emulate every single thing that, that he did, it'd be, it, it would not, it would make me a worse coach, right? Because I'm not him. Um, you know, so I take this and that there from him and I take this and that there from somebody else. I take this and that from from Jeff and all the other people I, I've had a chance to to work with and be around um, and kind of fit that to my personality. I, I think that's what creates the best version of yourself. You know, don't be a don't be a cheap imitation of somebody that you've seen on TV or even that's coached you or that you coach with. Um, be authentically yourself. Strive to be the best version of that that you can, which includes surrounding yourself with really great mentors, but um, make sure you, you stay true to you and try to find your voice um, as it fits you. Mm-hmm. Gotcha.
1: I think when I was, I think looking back on it now, and that's a long, that's a long look back in my case, but um, looking back now and, and thinking about when I first got started and you know, I was a passionate player. I enjoyed the game. I love the game. I've always been that way. Um, and I was so, you know, because we're all kind of our, our greatest strengths sometimes are our greatest weaknesses at times, you know, like I had to be, it had to be really important to me and I had to do it the way the coach wanted to, wanted me to, and I had to outwork other guys cause I wasn't that talented. So when I became a coach, I thought that's what I had to do with every player and they're not me. They're every mm-hmm. player. There's so many different personalities. And I wanted my guys to get uh, like it was they were going to do it harder and faster than ever. They're going to outwork everybody on the field. They're going to look at my group when they on when you came to watch us practice. You're going to watch my group and we were going to do it. The, we're going to be the most physical, go the fastest, work the hardest. <laughs> I should probably go back and write thank or excuse me, uh, uh, apology letters. To all those kids because you can't learn a skill full speed right the lower your skill level as you as you're starting to learn a new technique or a new skill the slower you should be doing it but yet we get this you know image or at least i had this image well they got to go fast they got to do it as hard as they can well christ you can't it took me getting into martial arts to learn that right that how important fundamentals are and how important that doing it right, because your brain is just like a computer. It has no ability to know what goes in. It is good or bad. You can say two and two is five to the computer. And when you ask the, when you ask the computer what two and two is, it's going to say five. Now we all know that's not right, but that's how you program the computer. So you better program it with good information and, and you can't do things. You can't, you can't perform skills, especially skills that are hard and complex to learn, fast, and expect that you're going to do them well. And you, we, we always fall back on, on. Uh, Frank Gans used to say, uh, he ca- he called it the fog of war. We all go back to what we know when pressure hits us, right? Hmm. And if we don't know what, if we don't know, then we we get into the fog of war like right? it's just this you you like you have no idea what's going around you that's why so many rookie rookie shoulder, uh, soldiers get killed in battle because they panic they don't know what to do they 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 don't go back to their training and so you know it's the same thing for football players and and i think that that would be one thing i would say to a young coach the other thing i'd say to a young coach is that I think you really owe it to your players to to know the game, not just know a scheme, but to know the game, to understand the game, to truly understand the game. And that takes time and it takes spending, spending hours with mentors and, you know, good football coaches that can tell you, you know, I go back to Miles Davis teaching me the run and shoot. I mean, you, I could read a book about it and I would still know what the, you know, what the route conversions were against single high three or any of that stuff. But when you talk to mouse, you learned why they did what they did, not just what they did, but why they, and why it was important and why you had to do it that way for it to be successful. And that to me is true coaching.
2: Mm. And do and you to, have... to kind of build yeah, on, yeah. on the first thing that, that Jeff said there? My, my favorite quote that, that goes along with that last part is, you know, I, I believe it's the Navy SEALs, but you don't fall or sorry, you don't rise to the occasion, but you fall to the level of your training.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. When you, when
2: you get in a situation like that. Paul Alexander, yeah. the old Bengals, old line coach, he would say he would he would make his guys when they did a new technique, do it in super slow motion. You'd even have them do the sound effects of if they wanted. it, <laughs> um, but have them build it. But, but even to the larger sure. point that Jeff was making about the personalities, you know, I, I think that's definitely true, right? It's not one size fits all. Um, you know, I, I, and again, I think that's something that, that I probably uh, neglected early on in my career, um, but getting to know guys and more importantly, knowing what buttons to push to, to get them to push themselves to, to the place that they want to go. Right. And that's not, being soft and that's not making excuses because I I think some coaches can misconstrue it that way too. Um, But it's knowing the guy's personalities and getting to know them on a different level. So you can push them. And and I'm a guy who likes to to coach guys really hard. Um, But when they know that, you know them, when they know that you care about knowing them on a, on a deeper level than being a player, that's when you get to really get the most out of them coaching the hardest on the field. Um,
1: so I would say that's a big
2: lesson that I learned. I'm glad
1: that Jeff brought that up, you know, G, uh, coach Ramil had in his coaching handbook for that he gave out to the coaches every year. One of the big things he had in there was you must reach before you can teach. And that, that's exactly what G's talking about. A player that knows you genuinely care about it as a human being will allow you. coach him much harder than a guy that thinks you, you know, that thinks his name is dumb shit.
0: (laughs) I'm only laughing because my head coach in college was one of those types of (laughs) coaches. Um, But, um, and I guess um, I'm curious, have you found, I don't think coaches intentionally set out to, you know, hurt their players feelings or whatever, but also good coaches understand that you know, to trigger maturity to happen, sometimes you're going to have to, you know, bruise an ego or two. Um, What is your, I guess, and one of the common themes I've found talking to other college and uh, pro coaches is um, this idea of honest, blunt feedback or assessments. Maybe it's a little bit more in the college game, but um, have you guys noticed um, a change in the way players take coaching over the, the past couple of years that you've or, or so however long you've been coaching, like have players changed over time? And if so, how have they changed and have you adjusted your coaching to that? Um, I'm, I'm curious.
1: I think, you know, obviously, hopefully we get better and we get more mature and we understand situations better. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not very proud about some things I've done in, in this business. Now I never heard a player on purpose, never did, it. but I think about, you know, sometimes I I'll tell you a story. And, and just so maybe it won't happen to a young coach out there. You know, I used to believe that, you know, that they needed to read things, right? And so we were in a meeting and I would have something up on, on a PowerPoint and, you know, take the clicker and, I, and I'd just ask, you know, Garrett, read this, right? And he'd read and they knew, the veterans knew that that's the way we did it. That was one of our things. And all of a sudden, I called on a a rookie, and he couldn't read. He couldn't read, right? So I put that player, that athlete, in an incredibly embarrassing, humiliating position, unintentionally. But I took for granted that they were all – they aren't. They're all individuals. They all come from different backgrounds. They all come from different situations. And I hadn't taken the time to prep that you know i should have been i should have talked to him beforehand and said hey i'm gonna ask you to i'm gonna ask you to read today you're, are you okay with that right because i can you imagine how humiliated that athlete was to sit there in a room of other players and not be able to read what's on the board and and i'm going to tell you that's not an unusual situation when you're dealing with professional football players there are some that struggle and so for a kid that maybe has a has a a stutter or a speech impediment and then you ask him to I mean that's that's incredibly difficult for that kid. So I, I think you really have to be sensitive and be careful about what when you put a player into those kind of situations. And and again I still that thing still haunts me to this day.
2: And yeah it, just like just said it comes back to to knowing the players and like I think I'm not so sure about you know, noticing a difference between different kids. I definitely have, like, my programs I've been in, and maybe that's been part of the culture and stuff like that. But it would, it would be hard for me to say that they've changed over time necessarily. But, you know, to Jeff's point, I think just knowing how to bring that stuff up with them, but at the same time, like, you have to be willing to have tough conversations. You have to be willing to be blunt. Um, but knowing how to bring that up. Is important but like I think you get into much bigger issues when you aren't straightforward and they don't know where no you question. stand and now they aren't no playing no or question. something like that and you get into much bigger problems if no you question. don't set a level of intolerance for certain behaviors out on the field and stuff like that like if somebody like you need to have certain standards and it's up to each individual coach or, or you know this is more of even a head coach culture thing but it's up to each individual coach to kind of set those things. But when somebody does something that violates a standard, like, you know, everybody on the team needs to also understand that that that's something that, you know, was wrong. So you need to to know where your lines are and where to cross them. But at the same time, like you owe it to yourself to have very honest conversations, you owe it to the players. Because at the end of the day, like if they don't know what the issues are um, that they have as a player with the program, you're you're doing a disservice to them, and you're doing a disservice to your to your team. Even though it'll hurt them, it might hurt them in the moment to, to hear the truth. It's going to hurt them way more in the long run to not hear that, and certainly for your program as well.
1: You know, uh, I think that it's really G is so right on with that, and and uh, you know, we don't have rules; we have standards, right? And that's a big difference. We have standards, and we show them what the standard is. You know what what being a professional is. Okay, so that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is, I tell them in the first meeting we get together that we don't attack people, we attack problems, right? And then we further define a problem as anything that keeps us from playing at the highest level. So get ready for us to attack those behaviors aggressively. We're not gonna attack you as a human being. And it's really important, I think, that you listen. And, and I think young coaches really need to do this, is listen, tape yourself in your meetings. Ask the film guy to tape your meetings. And watch yourself and listen to the things that you say. And how you may say something that degrades a player while you, you don't even think about it, right? It just happens. And because the, I, do, I do believe this players are the same as they've always been the way they've been raised is completely different. They're visual learners. Now they don't learn by reading. They don't, you know, they, they are all have on, they're on their phone. They're comfortable with that. You take their phone away from them sometimes, and, you know, we had a, we had a rule where they couldn't bring phones into meetings and Christ almighty. Some of them, you know, went through withdrawal and, you know, it's just, that's the culture that these kids live in. They very, very, very few kids. Are held to high standards as young kids, mm-hmm. and so when you come into an environment where, and there's a number of cultural issues at work too, and you sure. come into an environment where you're going, you know, where you're going to be held to a high standard, well, that'll be tough for them. But you better, you better stick to what you believe in. If you say you have high standards, then it's on you to uphold the standard, and that first has to begin with you Mm -hmm. right that begins with how you prepare for your meeting how you come to your meeting you can't ask them to come in the meeting and pay attention and then you did a you do a bad job of preparing for your meeting don't ask them to come into the meeting and you know get excited about what they're learning and you're up there just you know like like yeah south park right (laughs) so yeah but do you understand what i'm saying yeah, and, and, and I think it's really totally. true that, that, that you be and be ultimately transparent and honest with them and just tell them sometimes, Hey, I screwed that up. That was a bad call I, or whatever. I, I didn't do a good job of coaching you. That's on me. That's not on you as the athlete. That's on me. Right. Because it, it has to be that kind of symbiotic relationship because we're all robbing the same train. Right. Yeah. Every, at the end of the day, we all have a job to do.
2: And gotcha. to, to build off a couple of the things that, that Jeff was saying there, like that's why like, I have my guys come early to meetings. And part of it is obviously so they're sitting down, they're prepared, and they have the notebooks out and all that stuff. The other part is just, you know, I, I make sure I'm, I'm ready for my meeting early, early, so that I'm there and I can just kind of kick it with them and, and get to know them and, and stuff like that. And so that they know that, again, on a personal level, like I like them anything that I'm about to say to them isn't personal. I'll tell them too, like, you know, I I hate your football. (laughs) Like that doesn't mean I don't like you. Right. But there are problems that need to be addressed. Like, and you need to be very like specific with your language. So it doesn't cross over into personal. Right. Like, again, you need to be able to be very critical uh, at times of of what they're doing on the field, but have them not feel like it's being personal. And, And I think another thing, and maybe we're bouncing around a little bit here, but, but, some kind of something that jeff said there triggered with me is you know you got to meet them where they're at too like yeah. you know the, they're in their environment a lot more than they're with us so when they're in the meeting room it needs to be an engaging environment right and, and i have the same thing where at least for my position meetings the special teams meetings are a little bit too big for me to be able to, to pull it off and we don't quite have the staff to have somebody go around and do it but for the position meetings, I have a box and they put their phone in it right at the beginning of the meeting and they pull the phone out of it after. But like I have music playing during the meeting. It's it, it's low, um, but it gives them something in the background there. Like I, I literally think about when I make a PowerPoint slide, I'm like I want to make it look like an Instagram post or a Twitter post. <laughs> like, yeah. so it's something that, that they see that that grabs their attention. Like you have to be thinking a little bit like them and, and so that you can make sure that, that you're engaging them and you're meeting them at their level. Again, not necessarily, or, or certainly not lowering, lowering your standards, but you need to be flexible enough to be able to find different ways to reach guys who, who learn different ways.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to your point, uh, coach Jeff and about the meetings, I was thinking about, you said to have somebody tape your, your meetings In my first teaching job in Brooklyn, we had this outside company come in and they were, it was like a classroom management company. It was, it wasn't about teachers, just about how you manage the room. So you would have a coach in the back of the room with a walkie talkie. and I I had an earpiece and it would literally be like, okay, turn, you know, like move to this side of the room, make sure you ask that question. Okay. (laughs) These these two kids didn't understand. You got to go back and talk to them. And, and, but but I think you have to kind of get meta sometimes because the best teachers that I've been around, they tape themselves. They put their, they don't share it, but they, they tape themselves. They put the iPhone on Zoom or wide view, um, And I think it's interesting. That's the first time I've heard a coach say, you know, bring that into the coaching world. I want to be respectful of your time so we can wrap up in a couple of minutes here. So, so two last questions very quickly. Um, how do you get, most players make it to the level that, you guys coach at because they have some talent most players are pretty good already but they struggle to get out of their way sometimes what do you what is i guess what is your advice to coaches listening who have a player who can't seem to get out of their own way
1: well it depends on what what you define to getting out of his own way whether we can't do it you know from a personality standpoint emotional standpoint physical standpoint you know, I think you got to define, I think it really, this is a really, really good, really, Brian, it's a great question. And I think it takes us down a really cool Avenue because we could spend uh, days doing (laughs) this. This is, this is what coaches need. They don't need X's and O's, right? This is what they need. Right. So you have to, you have to clear, find the challenge, right? Find the challenge, clearly define the challenge, then create, a strategy to to get past it whether to improve or whatever you want the terminology you want to use right and then that player has to he has to take he has to take part in the process right because i i truly believe this and say to every group i get every year i cannot make you a pro bowl player i can't do it i can't do it i can share in that Pro Bowl journey. But I can't make you. Right. It's not doesn't work that way. I'm not a I'm not a magician. I can't you know click my heels three times and go back to Kansas. I can't do it. So if you're looking for that guy, I'm the wrong guy. But if you're looking for a guy that cares about you, that loves you, that will work to help you get where you want to go, then I'm your guy. But it sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. And you have to know that going in i'm not here to tell you what you want to hear i'm here to tell if you really want this then we'll find a path and that's no guarantee we'll get there but i know this our odds are going to be way better
2: yeah i mean there's no one size fits all answer for that question right it's it's a different reason for every kid or ultimately just like Jeff just just said it's ultimately about getting to know the guy and maybe knowing the root of the problem, right? It's it's usually you're seeing the symptom of something, something that, something that's probably deep-seated and and happened before, and then being able to get his trust. Like, you know, he, if you say that you love him, he's got to really be able to feel that. And if he does, now you have a, now you have a shot. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I think it it goes back to, like I said, really caring about him, getting to know him. Um, If you can find a way to do something for him outside of, of football, um that helps obviously if if they trust you as a coach and you can get them better um but it's just it's so different case by case
1: sure
2: you know what I I tell you this is
1: and I'm gonna go one more time to coach Ramil because like I said that's the tree I fell off of but you know every time they screw up whether it's a physical mistake a mental mistake or a behavioral mistake every time they do is an opportunity for you to demonstrate to them how much they mean to you, how much they matter, right? Not to enable them, because that's not what I'm talking about. Because to enable them, shit, they've had a bunch of people enable them in their lives so far, right? What they probably haven't had is somebody to say, you matter enough that we're gonna hold you to these standards until you tell me, until you say uncle, until you cry uncle, It just doesn't mean that much to me, Jeff. That's okay. I'm not making your choices for you. You know what I mean? And Coach coach used to say it like this, and then I got to run to a meeting. He said, player mistakes are coaching opportunities. Think about that. Player mistakes are coaching opportunities. So, Brian, I I thank you so much. I'm writing that down right now. Yeah,
0: Yeah, no, we'll cut it right there. Thank you very much, Jeff. I know you got to buy it. All right. All right, cool. Hey, Garrett, that was fun, man. Yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah. And here's the out. Thanks for listening to The Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.